Take your Bible and turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. I want to just touch on this thought this morning from God's Word before we continue in our service. And again, I want to absolutely duplicate what was said. And the choir did a fantastic job. Thank you for being faithful. It takes time to learn all of those songs, the arrangements and parts and musicians. They did a wonderful job. And then the media team, thank you for being a part of that. But what a wonderful day it is to be in God's house. I love being here. If I could be completely transparent, I could spend the next five hours here with you and the Word of God and talk until our throat can give no more words about the goodness of God, the mercy of God, and the gift of Christmas. Luke 2, let's save some time, go to the 10th verse. If you've never read the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, I invite you to do so. Some of the best news you'll ever read in your life. But let's go to the 10th verse for sake of time. And the angel said unto them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, we come back into your presence. And God, we're thankful for what our heart has already experienced in this service. The truth of the singing, the songs and the lyrics that carried such powerful indications of who you are and what you are. And God, I'm thankful for every person that's in this room, every person that's worshiping online. And God, I pray that you would use the word of God to penetrate every heart and every life. Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. No one here today needs to see me. No one here today needs anything that I have to offer. But use me as thy vessel to preach the word of God. Holy Ghost of God, you are most welcome in this place. God, we pray that you would flood the atmosphere of this building. I pray that you would hush the children Still the hearts and the minds of adults who are thinking upon the week to come. And God, focus us on the word of God and what thus saith the Lord God to every person under the sound of my voice. Lord, we bow in humility. We bow understanding that there is nothing I can do within my capability to help anyone in this room. The Holy Ghost of God, come now. All is vain unless you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christmas Day in Bethlehem, the city of David over 2,000 years ago, I want you to understand that the birth of Jesus Christ often depicted in secular depictions, the old red barn with a Coca-Cola sign above the door of that barn is not how your Lord and Savior was born. Uh, many scholars, Jewish scholars, and especially our Pastor Emeritus even teach that Jesus more than likely was born in an old converted Jebusite military outpost known as the Tower of Migdal Eder. You can look into prophecies in Zechariah and even in Joshua that give indication that Jesus was born in this converted tower and this tower would have been used by shepherds. Shepherds that would have been looking for lambs who met the qualification to go to temple for sacrifice. These were lambs that were perfect 
They were without spot. They were without blemish. And these lambs were the ones that God would accept for the economy of sin to be paid. It had to be paid in blood. And these lambs did just that. And so when you read about Jesus in a manger, do not picture him in an East Tennessee red barn. Rather, picture him in an old Jebusite military outpost that's been converted to a shelter for ewes and for lambs. And inside that tower in the basement there in Shepherd's Field, one perfect lamb was born. It would be the final lamb that needed to be born for the economy, for blood sacrifice, was getting ready to change. No longer would animals be sufficient to pay for the atonement of Israel's sin. Mankind needed a perfect sacrifice. And that day, over 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to be born. He became flesh. And as the umbilical cord between Jesus and Mary was cut, it signified the beginning of God in the flesh for us. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the way I want us to look at Jesus' birth in Bethlehem today is as a gift. If you love getting a gift, be honest. If you love getting a good gift, a thoughtful gift that's tailored just for you, raise your hand. Me too. I love getting a good gift. It's no lie. I also love giving a gift and watching that reaction. God's blessed you. You're able to save. You know exactly what they want and you're able to do it. That's a wonderful feeling. And this gift that was given to every man that's here, remember what Luke just said in his gospel, that it's for everyone. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all white people. No. It shall be for all people of tan-colored skin in the Middle East. No. It says, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. There's a little song that we've learned in vacation Bible school that I know even today in my heart, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's all of his children. Jesus came for all. And this gift that was given there in the tower of Migdal Eder, in the bottom floor where the lambs were born, you depict Jesus in your mind in the manger and, and most likely, and it's okay, you depict Jesus in a manger made of wood and there is hay for him to sleep. But going to the Holy Land and studying and understanding what the manger would have been, we know and understand that Jesus more than likely was in a manger made of stone. And there his little precious body lay wrapped in swaddling clothes, the same type of material that was used for the lambs who were going to temple for sacrifice. For when the shepherds found a lamb that was worthy to go, they would want to wrap the legs and the body and the head of that lamb so that no blemish, no mark, or no cut would occur until that lamb could get to the temple for sacrifice. It says they wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes and lied him in a manger. They laid him in a stone manger with hay. It would be stone, cold stone, that our Lord and Savior, our King and our Sovereign would be born and laid upon. And then just 33 and a half years later, it would be a cold stone shelf in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea where the dead body of that same Jesus would lay. And it would be stone that would cover the hole that the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers would try to contain. 
the body of Jesus. But this is a gift that was given in Bethlehem. And it's one thing to receive a gift and be able to enjoy the gift. It's an entire other thing to watch the gift develop and grow. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He lived a life like a child that you know, like one of your children. He fell down. He scraped his knee. He got hungry. He cried. He even would need to go for a checkup to the physician. This was our Lord and Savior. The only difference in your life and his is he lived as all God and all man, but even in his humanity, he lived perfect and sinless. Not one time did Jesus ever mess up. Not one fault that was not right. Not one action, motivation, or intention that did not line up with the will of the Father. This was the gift that was given to us. But it would take 33 and a half years for us to see this gift come to fruition. Eight days after he was born, Mary and Joseph, who were Jews, take Jesus to Jerusalem to go to temple. They're gonna do three things while they're there. They're gonna follow the letter of the law. Jesus would be circumcised. Jesus would receive his naming. And then Mary and Joseph, who are described as righteous people, would go above and beyond the letter of the law and they would take Jesus to the temple to be sacrificed in words. They would give him back to the God that gave him. And they would say, Lord, thank you for the gift. Thank you for the blessing. He is yours to do as you please. It was above and beyond the letter of the law. And as they arrive into the temple, there is an old man named Simeon. We talked about him last week. And remember what Simeon tells Mary. Jesus is eight days old. Is there an eight-day-old baby in the room anywhere is there a 10-week-old baby anywhere in the room? There's some young babies in here. Uh, but Jesus was eight days old. Who's held an eight-day-old baby before? Raise your hand. I want you to imagine holding an eight-day-old precious baby. And it's your child. And Mary is doing so. She's holding Jesus in her arms. And this burly, bearded, old, righteous man named Simeon comes to her and says, Mary, remember now, this child is set for the fall. Mary, your eight-day-old baby, I know you love him and I know you're just getting accustomed to having a child and you love the way he smells and you love every noise and every movement and you watch it like it's just the greatest thing ever. But Mary, there's coming a day where he will die and he will take the fall and then he will rise again for your sake and for mine. And Simeon drives that dagger of truth into her heart. You see, the gift of Christmas cannot be insulated from the conversation of death. You cannot have an appropriate Christmas without thinking upon death. For the wages of sin is but the gift of God is eternal life. How? through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The gift was born in Bethlehem, but the gift would not be realized for 33 and a half years. We see Simeon, we see what he says. And I want you to draw your attention to this verse. It's a verse that a lot of you may know by heart, you may have heard it all of your life, but I want you to tie this verse back in to Christmas so that from now on, every time you think of Christmas or you see a Christmas tree or you're singing a Christmas carol, you'll put this verse into perspective. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, this verse reveals that God sent his son Jesus with a mission. The son had a mission. It was all bound up in the supreme gift of God's love and it was God's love, listen now, it's God's love of evil, wicked people. It's God's love of people who are fallen in nature, people who have messed up, people who have said they would do one thing and they did another. God sent his son Jesus in spite of the fact that the world was fallen, broken, and destitute. That is love that you can't put into any type of human understanding. There's no way, there are, there's no words, there's no language that will ever be able to describe on this earth that type of love. It will be until we get to heaven that we can fully understand just how much God loved the world that he would send his perfect, beautiful, righteous, holy son on your behalf to this world as a gift. But the gift, it would all come to fruition in his death. Jesus is the gift. Don't misunderstand. Jesus is the gift. Say it with me now. Jesus is the gift. One more time for good measure. Jesus is the gift. Eternal life is the result of accepting the free gift. Jesus is the gift. And we're not talking about just eternal life for people who believe. Here's the truth. If you're alive, if you have a pulse and you're breathing, say amen. amen. Okay. You will live forever somewhere. Every single person under the sound of my voice, worshiping online, no matter where you are, every single person will spend eternity somewhere. Will you say, well, I refuse to participate in the constructs of your religion. I refuse to believe any words that come from your Bible. That's okay, you can say that now. But at some point, you will realize that there's an eternity to spend somewhere. And what Jesus offers is eternal life. But let's talk about the eternal life that Jesus offers because we're not just talking about quantity of eternity. We're talking about quality of eternity. You see, eternity goes on forever and ever and ever. If I was to give you a thousand years in pictures, it would not even begin to scratch the surface of what eternity really is. It just never stops. Think of a hundred years and then do it again and then do it again and then do it for the rest of your life. But what is life? It's eternity. Everyone here will spend eternity somewhere. And part of the war against truth, part of the war against your eyes being open to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is to fool you and to trick you into believing that what matters is what happens here. If I can enjoy my life, if I can live it up, if I can make a name for myself, if I, can, if I can have money, if I can have influence and power and cars and houses, then everything will be right. I'll be able to leave my children millions of dollars. And if you leave them millions of dollars and you've left them no Jesus, if you don't live out what God has called people to live in, then you've missed the whole point of being here in this vapor. That's what God calls it. This life here is a vapor. And the gift that was given to you, the gift that was given to me, it was realized after Jesus had been arrested in Jerusalem for speaking peace 
He had been arrested falsely and there was no charge that he deserved to receive. Yet, they arrested him. Yet, they beat him. They flogged him. They didn't want to hear another word that he was speaking and preaching because it went up against the grain of what they believed. They wanted their Messiah. They wanted their Redeemer, their Savior to be a military conqueror and throw out the Romans. And when Jesus came and he said, my kingdom is not of a kingdom that you understand. I am king, but I'm not king in your terms. It scared them. They couldn't understand how this king and conqueror was so humble, timid, and he wouldn't fight. He even told Pilate in front of his accusers, you can't even understand my kingdom. If I wanted to, I could call legions of angels. God could have heard the cry of his son and responded with battalions of angels and wiped this earth clean and still would have been a God of justness, a God of holiness and righteousness and left us right where we were. But that's not what happened. For God so loved. You see, the gift was very special. When God gives a gift, it's very unique. It's very special. When I give a gift in human terms, no matter who we are, no matter how long we've lived this life, we often give gifts and there are strings attached. It's just human nature. I give a gift and I maybe expect something in return. I give a gift to my child, but if that child disobeys me, number one, I'm going to beat them. Number two, I'm going to take their toy. <laughs> True story. And yes, I'm okay. I'm not warped. <laughs> I have a little twitch. But when God gives a gift, it's different. You'll notice Jesus, the gift that was born in Bethlehem. You'll notice something about God's plan for this gift. Uh, number one, God initiated the gift. He initiated it. You see, I did not come to a place where I deserved the gift. I didn't light enough candles, do enough good deeds to earn the gift. It was God who decided in grace and in mercy to love me enough to send his son. And God the Holy Ghost came by my way in the old building on the right hand side, on the second pew, on the second seat inside. And God the Holy Ghost initiated a perfect work of salvation. And he arrested my soul and he said, Winston, it doesn't matter who your granddaddy is. It doesn't matter who your daddy is. It doesn't matter where you go to church. I want your heart. And he initiated you say, why are you so passionate? Why are you so excited? Because God, the Holy Ghost, came by my way. You see, he could have kept going, but in love and in grace and in mercy, he came and he chose me. He initiated it. And when God gives a gift and God initiates the gift, you can be guaranteed that that gift is there to stay. Praise God. Man didn't figure this out. He came to me. I didn't get to a place where I earned it or deserved it. He came to me. God initiated the gift. Secondly, notice that the giver gave in spite of what he got in return. God gave me Jesus. The Holy Ghost convicted me and saved me and he knew what he was purchasing. 
He knew what he was buying. He knew everything I'd ever say, everything I'd ever do, every sin that I would ever commit even after I was saved. And he said, I choose him anyway. He's mine. It's not the quality of the people he's after. He wants broken, destitute, dirty, fractured, undone people. He picks them up off the floor. He dusts them off and he says, yeah, that's the one I want. It doesn't matter what I get out of them. They'll come around, they'll learn, they'll grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I can see 10 years down the road, their parents can't see it, their mom and dad can't see it, their grandparents can't see it, but I can see it. He gave the gift regardless, in spite of what he got in return. For all have sinned. For all have sinned. You know what all means in the Greek? You know what all means in Hebrew? It means all. Every one of us. Doesn't matter what your pedigree is. It doesn't matter what side of town you live on. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter where you went to college. It doesn't matter who your mom and dad is. All have sinned and stand in need of the gift. The gift of Jesus. Lastly, this is the best part. Not only does he initiate the gift and give in spite of the people that are receiving the gift, but lastly, God the giver gave of himself. He gave of himself. John 15, 13 is a very familiar verse. Miss Debbie, it says this, greater love hath no man than this, and then it tells us, that a man laid down his life for his friends. The Bible tells me that not only am I a child of God, but that he regards me as his friend. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was flogged, when Jesus was beaten, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, this is not a murder scene that caught heaven off guard. Jesus knew what was coming. God knew what was coming. And yet he laid down his life anyway. Jesus could have wiped out every Roman ever born in one moment, in one fault. Instead, he laid his life down and calmly sat down on the cross so that the gift could be realized. And they nailed him to a tree. And Jesus allowed this nailing to take place. He allowed them to strip him naked of all dignity and of all clothing and then God the Father loaded the bow of righteousness with an arrow of wrath that was intended for Winston. Jimmy, the arrow even had my name on it because it was what I deserved. The arrow was for me. All the anger, all the wrath, all the hell I could ever take, it was for me. And Jesus said no. He knows not what he does. Don't point it at Winston, Father. Point the arrow at me on the cross. And then God, in his mercy and grace towards you, executed his son with a fatal blow of wrath. And the son, in perfect obedience to the will of the Father, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? And he gave up the ghost. God's only son, looked at you and he saw me down, way down in eternity, 2,000 years later. And he said, yeah, he's not perfect, but he's worth it. No, she's not perfect, but she's worth it. Lord, point the arrow at me. I'll take 
Winston's wrath. I'll take Winston's hell and I'll get the keys of death, hell and the grave and I'll open up a way for people to not spend eternity in hell. That is the gift that God gave at Christmas. The man hanging in the middle was the greatest gift for all mankind. The gift of the man on the cross in the middle. And you can turn your back on him. You can play and pretend like he's not who he said he was. You can choose to ignore the preacher. You can choose to turn everything off from the word of God. You can pretend like your sin will not cost you. But at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, with all the love in my heart, you will spend eternity somewhere. The greatest gift that's ever been given is already prepared for you. Someone can help me on the piano. We'll close this portion of the service. You see, when they took Jesus to Golgotha, the place of the skull to crucify him, this was a place the Romans had chosen to crucify many a people. And oftentimes, you read back in Jewish history, you read Josephus, many times there would be dozens of people crucified all at one time. Sometimes it would be one Sometimes it would be 30, sometimes it would be 15. But this day, there were three people that are mentioned in the New Testament that were crucified that day with Jesus. Jesus being one, a thief on his left and a thief on his right. And then there in the middle was your gift nailed to your tree who became your sin. In Luke 23, we get a picture. I hope you're paying attention to this closely. Let this bless you before we close the service. Luke 23, I'm gonna fast forward from Bethlehem and the manger. We're gonna go all the way to the cross just outside of Jerusalem. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, means he mocked him, saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other who was hanging to his other side answered him and rebuked him saying, dost not thou fear God seeing thou art in the same condition? And we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds. And then the man to the left or to the right looked at Jesus in the middle and he said, this man hath done nothing amiss. Matthew 27 and Mark 15 tell us that at some point in the crucifixion that both thieves on the cross were mocking the Lord Jesus as he died. That's what it says. Mark and Matthew both document that at some point both thieves on the cross were mocking Jesus. The people that were walking by were mocking Jesus. Jesus but see something happened for one of the thieves on the cross because at some point the Holy Ghost of God starts to whisper something to his ear as he is dying in his state of sin and you'll notice what he says he hears the other thief rail on Jesus mock Jesus and he says do you not fear God we're getting what we deserve but but this man this man has done nothing. And one of the final acts of his earthly ministry 
Jesus lived out Ephesians 2.8 on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus replies to this man. And he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Something happened to the other thief on the cross. Uh, something happened where he knew that he was getting what he deserved, but he saw that the man in the middle was the gift he had been looking for all of his life. And he had the honor and he had the privilege to be nailed to a cross beside God's son, condemned to die the same death. And he said, Lord, he called him Lord as to say, Lord of all the earth. He called him King of Kings and Lord of Lords with one word. And Jesus said, I will remember thee in paradise this day. And some of you are in the worst situation of your life. Christmas is going to be tainted with heartache and heartbreak because of actions. Maybe by your own actions or by someone beside you. There's no peace, there's no joy, there's no satisfaction, and you've yet to open the greatest gift and find true peace and satisfaction for your life. That can only come from a relationship with a man in the middle. His name is Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to hear something come out of my mouth that some preachers will never say. There is nothing I can do save pray for your never dying soul. I cannot save you. Only God, the Holy Ghost, can do that perfect work of salvation. You say, I don't even know what the Holy Ghost is. The wonderful news is God can save you and then you can grow in that grace and grow in that knowledge. But with all the love in my heart, with every bit of tenderness I can muster, there's someone in this room, you know it and God knows it, and you're lost and you're undone. You've tried everything the world has to offer. You've tried drugs, you've tried alcohol, you've been in illicit relationships and nothing seems to satisfy that thing in your heart. And you've come to a Christmas service expecting to hear a choir sing and hear a preacher preach. But what you didn't expect was for God to show you the greatest gift of the man on the middle cross. Jesus loves you. He knows exactly where you are today. He knows your name. He knows the tears that are on your pillow. He knows the child that's breaking your heart. The situation that's out of control. And here's the truth. Christmas this year, a week away from today, could be different than any Christmas you've ever had. If the Lord's dealing with your heart, in a moment we're going to open up the altar. It doesn't matter who's watching you. It doesn't matter who's around you. This is between you and a holy God. Don't miss eternity. Worried about other people's opinions. Every head bowed and no one looking around, no one moving or leaving unless they must. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice that would say, Pastor, I can honestly say with all assurance of heart that if I died today or if Jesus were to come, I'm ready to meet him. I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven and I'm living in the victory. Would you be man enough, woman enough just to raise your hand anywhere in the building? If you're saved and on your way to heaven, 
Praise the Lord. That's almost every hand. And I'm going to ask this question. Then we'll move on. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice that say, Pastor, if I had to be honest, if I had to be transparent, I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice, man enough, woman enough to just slip up your hand? No one's going to come to you or embarrass you. No one's going to cause a scene. God bless you, sir, there in the back. Is there another? God bless you, sir, there in the back. I see your hand. God bless you, sir. That's three precious adult males that have raised their hand. They're not saved. They're not sure they're saved. Anyone else? God bless you, sir. I see that. Thank you for making eye contact with me. That's four. Anyone else? I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Anyone on this side? Lord, you know the hearts. God, you see every person that's in this room. Lord, four precious men have raised their hand that they're not saved. They're not sure they're saved. God, I pray in grace and in mercy. Lord, you would do what only you can do. Father, that you would open their eyes captivate their hearts and save them. Lord, for the one that's here that's wrestling with pride, for the one that's here that's living in open sin and refuses to give it up, God, I pray that they'd see the brevity of life. God, I pray that they'd understand that life is but a vapor. Lord, if there's anyone here, God, who's rebellious against the call of the Holy Ghost, would I pray in wrath, remember mercy. Lord, thank you for Christmas gift that you've given. We worship you in spirit and in truth. We commit this service back to you. We ask you to do what only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Brother Arthur, I want you to sing one chorus. One chorus. If no one comes, we'll close the service. Christians, you help me pray. Four men raise their hand. to the best of our ability we've tried to preach what you've put in our heart today Lord I'm so inadequate to share this good news I don't have the capacity to share just how wonderful you are Jesus I love you I thank you for dying on my cross becoming my sin being born of a little virgin teenager named Mary on my behalf coming into a world that you didn't belong in and God for my sake Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the gift that was born in Bethlehem, realized on the cross, and accomplished at resurrection. Thank you for my eternal life in Jesus Christ. Lord, for the seed that was planted today, we put it in your hands. We ask you to water. We ask you to increase. We ask you to give the harvest. Lord, we've done our part. Help us to be faithful. 
to continue to pray for your hand to move in the life of people we love. It's in Jesus' name the church prayed. Amen. Amen. Ushers, I want you to get in your place this morning. Very special moment in the life and the heart of our church as we remember the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have our birthday offering for Jesus. And each and every year, this is something I asked Miss Barbara about that goes all the way back to our founding pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton Sr. was carried on by our pastor emeritus and we have the pleasure now to continue with the birthday offering for Jesus. Many things on our campus that need to be repaired, many things that need to be uh, painted and restored uh, before the Lord allows us to have that beautiful five-story educational facility, which is obviously what we're praying for and asking God for in his time, we need to take care of what God has given us. And much of the birthday offering for Jesus this year will go into his house, taking care of every aspect. What we prayed for is $100,000 above tithe and offering and birthday offering for Jesus. The first offering will be now. And you can give to birthday offering all the way through the 31st of December. You can do that online. You can give in person up to the 30th by mail. So if you want to participate, maybe you didn't come today prepared to participate, you can do so securely online or you can put it in the mail. Ushers, you come right ahead. We'll pray over this. We'll ask God to bless it. We'll receive the offering. And then in a moment, I hear, I got a alert on my phone. The National Weather Service had put some interesting news out about the weather here inside the sanctuary. A very particular notification. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, God, we give you back every dime that's about to be given. Lord, we thank you for our blessings and our bounty. Lord, we pray that you'd receive it, that you'd be pleased, that God above all, we'd be faithful to be good stewards of what you've given us. It's in Jesus' name the church prays. Amen.